The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters of my release.
you stand with me as we uh, continue to worship God and sing? I will build my life upon you. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. 
morning central how are you everybody good all right we'll get ready we're going to have a little fun we always try to you know we do this deal and uh you know i always kind of have some little quirky thing that i do about and, and i've got another good one today i think all right guys so hang tight but first off i'm going to ask the question how many in this room have one of those 
household chores that is yours and yours alone. And if you do not do it, it will not get done. Is there any of you in here? Most of the hands in the room go up. I even seen one back there with both hands up, okay? All right. I do too. I have one. And I've always had it, ever since I got married. That's 30 plus years ago. My job is to empty the dishwasher, okay? And you might think, well, that's just not much, Mike. I'll tell you what, I'm pretty awesome at it, okay? <laughs> I am phenomenal at it. I don't know if there's anybody in the world that's any better at it than I am. I'll be honest with you. If you don't believe me, ask me. I'll tell you how good I am at it, okay? Because I've been doing it for so long. But here's the thing about it. Here's, here's how I came to that deduction. The sink could be full of dirty dishes. The counter could be covered up with dirty dishes. Every dish in the house could be dirty. But until I empty that dishwasher, the process will never begin. So that told me, well, everybody else in my household says, well, you know, Mike's so awesome and so great at that, that we just better not do it or we'll make ourselves look foolish. So we'll just have to wait and let Mike do that job. Sounds like good reasoning to me. That's kind of sounded good to me. So that's where I went with the deal. But it is true. That is my job. And that's what I have to do. And through the years, I mean, you accumulate things and the cabinets get fuller and fuller. Um, bless my wife's soul. She's Pampered Chef's best client, I think. Um, and as I empty the dishwasher from time to time, I pull these things out and I look. I say, what in the world is this? And what does it do? And I ask her, and she says, oh, it does this and this. And I said, and how many times are we going to do this? Well, whenever I do, I'm going to have the right tool to do it. And I said, okay, darling. Sounds good. But, you know, you learn where everything goes in all the cabinets, down low, up high, dishes, cups, this and that. But as I got to uh, doing my job, every once in a while I'd run across one of those things, as I'm like, I don't have a clue where this goes. What do I do with this? I don't know what to do with it. Maybe, you know, I don't So I got to where I started putting it all in the second drawer. It's what we call in the second drawer. And I believe we got a slide, if y'all will stick it up there, that shows an actual picture of the second drawer. <laughs> and as you look at it, it's just kind of a conglomeration of everything, isn't it? You got tongs and whisk and graters and measuring cups and funnels and... If when I take it out of the dishwasher, if I don't know where it goes, it goes in the second drawer. That's where it's always went for 30 years now, the second drawer. You know, and it got me to thinking and, and about things, and I said, you know, do we do that with life sometimes? Do some of those things come down the pipe, and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. Maybe we got a letter from the IRS. Maybe we got that phone call from the doctor. What do I do with this? How do I deal with it? Do I just put it in the second drawer, kind of forget about it for a little while? What about Jesus? Do we have a tendency of doing that with Jesus? Ooh, that's kind of a touchy one, Mike. That one hurts a little. Because I think the answer is going to be a lot of times yes. That life's good. We're, things are rolling. Things are flowing pretty good. We're, things are good in our life. So where is Jesus in our life? Do we kind of got him over there in the box? Got him on standby? We got him stuck down in that second drawer. And then whenever that crisis does hit, are we digging in that second drawer and trying to find the right utensil, trying to find Jesus so that we can get him out and get him front and center then when things are going wrong? 
Or should we have had him out the whole time? You know, instead of having him stored away in the second drawer, maybe we should have had that whisk sitting as our centerpiece on our table. Have him out all the time to where he's part of our life each and every day. No matter how complex it is, no matter how simple a day you have, put him at the centerpiece of your table. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, as always, you're just, wow, you're so awesome, Jesus. I thank you for the multiple blessings, Father. We thank you for everything that you do. But, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we fail at times. We put you in the box, and we think we don't need you all the time. We stick you in that second drawer, and we say, I'm sorry, Father. That is not how you're meant. For you came and you sacrificed. You laid your life out. You died on the cross for us, You, but you rose again, and you gave us everlasting life. And for that, wow. I just say, Jesus, we should never put you away, for that is flat-out rude on our part, that we would put you aside and only pull you out when we need you. Jesus, be, be present in our lives. Be there every day as these young people go out in the world, as our graduates go out. Bless them. Be in their life every single day as they go forth. Father, thank you for the rain that's coming to bless our land. And as we go forth and we do your work, have us do it in the way that's pleasing to you and in the way that you would want it done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Go rewind with me to 2004. <clears throat> in the year 2004, the Olympics were held in Greece that year. Uh, there was the largest earthquake or strongest earthquake we'd seen in over 40 years a 9.3 that happened out in the Indian Ocean, and it caused a massive tsunami. Uh, sadly, uh, 300,000 people, nearly 300,000 people were killed in that. Very, very sad. Speaking of very, very sad, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series that year. That was really sad. Um, that was actually the year they broke the curse of the Bambino, the first time they'd won since 1918. Uh, Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France for the sixth straight time in 2004. And we all go, uh, we liked him. Uh, here's a fun one. Oil peaked that year. Oil peaked at $50 a barrel. I checked Friday. It's 113 right now. So uh, that gives you any uh, indication. And some of you, we learned a, a phrase that year that was added to our vernacular. The phrase was wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> it happened at the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 38 was in Houston. It was New England beat Carolina. Nobody really cares. Nobody remembers that part. It was the year that MTV got to host the halftime show and Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson and, yeah, bad things happened. All right, so we'll just, but that's what happened in 2004. Ken Jennings, Ken Jennings started his amazing run on Jeopardy in that year. 74 straight wins, $2.5 million in winnings, and now he's one of the hosts. And some pretty cool things happened. Top three movies of 2004. You ready? The biggest moneymaker of 2004, Shrek 2. Get it? All right. Yeah. 
Smash mouth all over you, all right? Uh, the second biggest movie of that year, Spider-Man 2. There were only twos that year, I guess. The third biggest movie, money-wise, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's. And what else is special about 2004? That a lot of our graduates, most of our high school graduates, were born that year. That pain you're feeling about right here and about right here, that's your age. It's okay. That means all of these are post-9-11 babies. It's kind of hard to understand. And we take time to honor our high school graduates and, and our college graduates at this time. These are major achievements. And to you students, if you graduated with honors or if you just barely made it, we love you and we're proud of you and we don't really care about that. Some of you fought to just barely make it and we're appreciative of that. Of that. It's an exciting time. Some of you are heading off to college, some to marriage, some to the workforce, some to the military. You're going to hear a lot of cliches today and, and the coming weeks. And we're going to talk specifically to the seniors today. But a bunch of you are sitting there, oh, cool, and I can tune out. I don't have to pay attention. You know what? We're all graduating something. We're all moving to a transition in our life. But all of our seniors are going to hear cliches. You're going to hear a lot of advice. You're going to hear phrases that start with, well, in my day, if it does, just ignore that. All right? It just... It just... Blow that one off. But we want you to know that Central stands with you, that we stand with our graduates. We want you to succeed, and we want you to give God the glory in your life. Amen? That is what we are supporting our teenagers. And you might be sitting there going, well, that's great, Don, but how do I know what God wants me to do? And the reality is, I got a hunch there's a whole bunch of us adults that have asked that same question. Oh, yeah, amen? We have all been in that situation. What does God want me to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Well, I want us to look at one of my favorite passages in Romans chapter 12, if you join me there. If you're joining us online or on the radio, thanks for being with Central Christian Church in Portales. Uh, we are a Bible-believing church and a bible Using church. So let me see your word. Let me see your Bible. Uh, there's at least 13 new ones in here. Uh, I, you know... I know that some of you seniors have one, so find Romans chapter 12, put a marker right there, and we're going to read Romans chapter 12, just a couple of verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Bill Irwin wasn't the first to conquer the Appalachian Trail. He started in 19, uh, 1990. He was 50 years old. He set out from Springer Mountain, Georgia, all the way to Mount Katahdin, Maine. Took him eight months, over 2,100 miles. He endured snow, he endured heat, he endured hypothermia, he endured rain, dehydration. He wasn't the first to do this trek, but he was the first to do it the way he did it. You see, he's blind. 2,100 miles, eight months on his own. It was just him and his German shepherd dog. He said later he estimated he fell 5,000 times 
It's an average of about 20 times a day. He broke ribs. He dealt with hypothermia, but he finished. And and he's a uh, recovering alcoholic, and he was a committed Christian. And before he started out, he said this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, We walk by faith, not by sight. And he said, that's going to be my mantra. And he said it every day. I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. And he did it. He did it by faith, not by seeing which way he was going. And you're doing the same thing. Not the trails of Appalachia, but the trails of life. And, and not from Georgia to Maine, but a path that is steeper and longer and more treacherous. It's the path between the life we want and giving our life for Him and living our life for Him. And friends, we're all on that path. You're the God who fights for me. You're the Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. We sang that. We declared it. You have torn apart the sea. You've led me through the deep. Hallelujah. When Paul is writing Romans chapter 12, when he's writing the whole book of Romans, if you go back to the first chapter, he's writing to Christian believers that are in the city of Rome, quite literally under the foot of Roman rule. At every corner there is a Roman soldier that has the power to kill you or beat you with absolutely no repercussions. Because you are a less than, you belong to that government, they could do anything they wanted to you. And Paul is writing to him and saying, I know this is a hard trail. I know it's a long road, but I want you to know how to get there. And you want to know how to get through this trial and these paths? He starts it out, you need to view God's mercy. You need to see it. You need to pay it attention to it. You need to quantify it. Friends, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I spend a lot of time in Romans 12. It, it, it ruminates in me, but it just jumped off the page to me this week. Do we list out His mercies? Do we view God's mercies? How He has come through for us? We know He is for us. He is for us, but do we know how He has come through specifically for us? So here's a challenge for you this week. Something for you to do. I want you to get one of those yellow notepads. I want you to get your pen. I want you to get a cup of coffee. I want you to sit down. And I want you to start listing his mercies. Now, some of you are right now going, oh, I can do that in my head. I'm not asking you to do it in your head. I'm asking you to do it on a piece of paper. Because when you see it on paper, it will change your perspective. And I'm asking you to not start the list with life, freedom. I mean, these are great things, okay? Go a little deeper, shall we? Get a little harder. View how He has come through for you. Because I think when we see it, when we see that His mercy is strong, we see it, Paul says it's going to cause an action. When you view God's mercy, you're going to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not as a, you better, or you're gonna, or it's going to be in trouble. It's going to be a response to everything that God has done. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, people look at offering my body as a living sacrifice. Ooh, that's kind of creepy. It's never meant to be a burden. 
It was always meant to be a response to what God has done. I've shared this story with you before, but uh, when I was first leaving Portales and went to Wichita Falls, I was a youth minister, and I kind of buffaloed my way into the job and really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, kind of the same way it is now, I think. But uh, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd been up there about three months, and I heard there was a youth minister's conference in Lubbock. And the keynote speaker was a guy named Max Lucado. You heard of him? Okay, he was... He wasn't super max at that time. He was kind of medium max. He wasn't, he'd only he'd written like a, two or three books. But he was the speaker. So I got there early. I got my table out. I got my notepad out. I got my coffee. I'm, I'm like, come on, give it to me, Max. And he walks up there and they give him a big, long introduction. He walks up there and he looks out there and he goes, God doesn't need a one of you. And half the room went, amen. And I went, what? what? Yeah. And then he walks over to this side and he goes, I'll say it again. God doesn't need a one of you. And the other half of the room says, Amen. And it's all preachers and youth ministers. And I'm sitting there going, Well, then what did I sign up for? And he says, God doesn't need any of you. He wants every one of you. And he wants all of you. And man, that stuck with me. He wants us. And He wants us close to Him. A lot of people will read Romans. They'll come to church because they're trying to find the secret of God's will. I want to know what God's will is for my life. Somebody teach me the secrets. If you go to the bookstore, uh, you'll, you'll see books about it. Uh, the, the seven secrets to a happy life and all this kind of crazy stuff. It's not a secret. You see, we, we want to create this binary set of God's will. We want... Um, is it A or is it B? Do I take this job? Do I go to that school? Well, what do I do? I, uh, do? Should I change my major? Should I take that job? Should I date him? Should I not date him? Verse 2 tells us you can test and approve what God's will is. It's very simple. It's never been a secret. It's never hidden. But it's up a couple of lines. It says... You don't jump into His will until you jump onto His altar. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You don't just run in here and find the little manual and, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do with my life until we put our lives on the altar. Knowing God's will has never been a secret. It's a result. It is the fruit of a renewed mind, of a mind that thinks differently. We don't think like the world anymore. We think like His children. We don't get our affirmation from the world. We don't find our conclusions in the world. We, we find our hope in Him. He gets the first choice. It's as if God is saying, look, believe in me. Don't believe in you. All the rest of the world is going to say, believe in yourself. Believe in you. He's saying, don't do that. Believe in me. It's not going to make all the... the you're not going to understand everything. It's not going to make all sense right now, but you've got to trust me. God says through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 30, verse 21, whether you turn to the right or turn to the left, you'll, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You see, if you're listening to Him, He will guide you. He will have you. Spirit, lead me. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say... Uh, jump, then I'm letting go. Do you hear it? 
It's not listening to your heart. It's not listening to your friends. It's not listening to what is politically correct. It's listening to Him. You see, because when our confidence is in Him, not in how smart I am or how rich I am or how big my 401k is or how popular I am, when our confidence is in Him, then I can go wherever He wants me to go. I can go to a different school. I can go to a different job. We can get through whatever because my confidence is not in me. It's in Him. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Now, the world says this. Now, I'm not saying I want you to be freaks. I want you to be focused. And seniors, I want you to listen to me really close right now. I want you to hear this. You need to be in church. It's super easy when you turn 18. Oh, man, I'm out of here. I get to do my own. I can sleep late when I want to. Friends, I'm telling you. There are a whole lot of adults in here that have tried it another way. Can I get an oh yeah from any of us? And we've wandered away and we're telling you. You need a group of people around you that will point you to Jesus. I don't care if you go to UNM or Eastern. I don't care if you go in the military. I don't care where you go. There are social clubs. There are fraternities. I'm not bashing anything like that. I'm saying you need a people that will point you to Jesus. And if you go to Eastern, we've got a college group. If you go to uh, Albuquerque, we want you connected. You see, the pattern of this world is people will welcome you, people will entice you, people will shape you. Because, let's be honest, sin feels good. If it didn't feel good, nobody would do it. Okay? Why don't we just call it like we see it? We've got to be thinking differently. A renewed mind, he says. John Stott was an Anglican theologian, uh, passed away in 2011. He said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. He's saying you're going to clash with the world when you're shaped by Him. Yeah, you might be left out. Yeah, you might not be popular. And Jesus promised there would be persecution. You know what else He promised? You're never going to be alone. There's a whole lot of people around you. Because you see, when you think differently, you'll see differently. You'll observe differently. And I want to I give you this idea here that I think a lot of adults have understood. Everything in your life is not equally important. And i got a hunch nearly every adult in here battles this. True? Not everything gets equal authority. That's why we battle agendas and that's why we battle uh, priorities i got this to do and i got this to do and i got this to do i don't know what to do it's everything so it's got to be done right now not everything is equally important in february of 2020 right before covid hit dan kane of twinsburg ohio came home to postal workers at his house but when i say postal workers i mean they backed two semis up to his house and started unloading 79 of those rolling, humongous rolling carts of mail to his house. Dan Kane received in one day 55,000 letters from the exact same source. It turns out it was his student loan servicing organization. And they had a glitch in their programming, in their you know computer mail out, and they printed, and I am not making this up, 55,000 copies of the exact same letter. 
and they mailed it first class. I did the math on that. That's over $30,000 in postage. That doesn't even count the printing and the envelopes and the labor. And there's a bunch of you that are like me going, wasn't there anybody in the mailroom that said, should we do this 55,000 times? You know, somewhere about three or 4,000 letters didn't somebody recognize? But here's my question. Okay, you come home. All of this stuff is being dumped on your front lawn. You don't have a clue what to do. What if, here's the question, what if in the middle of all of that, there was one really important letter? What if it was your tax return? What if it was, what if it was a summons to jury duty? You tracking? Yeah. What if it was a letter from your great uncle that didn't have any heirs and it was from his lawyer and if you don't respond in 30 days, hey, you know, if you respond, you're going to be the sole, you know, you hearing me? How easy would it be to get lost in 55,000 letters to dump it all? You hearing me? Friends, teenagers, college students, we live in a cluttered world that bombards us with data every day. 55,000 things every day. And just like Mike, we throw some of, Mike said we throw it in the second drawer. We'll get to Jesus later. Friends, you don't need him off. You need him focused. We think differently. We observe differently. We see differently what really matters. Because when our eyes are set on him, friends, we're going to know what to do. When your eyes are, are clearly set on him, You'll know where to go. It's not a contest. It's not a secret. It's knowing his heart. Paul is talking in Romans 12 to people that are facing challenges. Seniors, you're going to face, you're, you're in an exciting time. There's a lot of opportunities. You're getting a lot of cool things. A college, there's new opportunities. There's new things enticing you. But you're going to face opposition. Things are not going to work out perfectly. There are going to be blown tests. There are going to be breakups. There are going to be all kinds of things. View his mercy. List the ways that he has come through for you. And then put yourself and your will on the altar. When you do that, if you will do that, if you will put yourself and your will on the altar, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see more and more of him. It's illogical. When you start listing his mercies, you, you should get to a point where you're like, okay, that's all of them. But the more you list, the more you list. The more you list, the more you see his mercies, the more you see it in so many other ways. And our prayer at Central for our graduates, for our teenagers, for our families, for our marriages, is that you build your life on him. Build it on His Word. Build it on His love. Build it on His character. Your life will matter more, and your distractions will matter a lot less. It was in a small church in East Texas, in a little, bit, little country town, that a boy was out walking one Sunday morning. He walked by the front, and he heard the hymns coming up. And that sounds pretty. And he opens the door, and he walks into church, and he... He sits in the back, and he hears these pretty songs, um, all of the hymns that are classics. 
And and then uh, they take communion together. And then and then the preacher gets up and he talks about you need the Lord in your life and you need to to do that right now. And then it comes to the end of the service, and they did what we we don't do this anymore here, but a lot of churches do it. They pass the tray. We have the boxes. We do it online. We don't talk about it very much. You that's between you and God. They go to pass the tray. You know what I'm talking about? Pass the hat kind of thing. And they got the little metal trays. They're going up and down the aisles. And he's watching everybody. He doesn't know what's going on. And he sees people reach in their wallet, put a 10 or a 20 in there, whatever. And he's watching. And it gets to him. And the guy hands him the tray. And he's just kind of, what do I do? And he said, this is your offering. This is what you give to God. And so he takes the tray and he sits there for a minute. And then he sets it down on the ground. And then he stands in it. So this is all I got. Sounds like he got it. Did you? You see, when we we commit to knowing him, I didn't say go to church. When we commit to being close to him, to knowing him, then we will feel his leading. We'll see which way to go. He will give you peace. Seniors, we're so proud of you. Build your life on him. Teenagers, we love you. Build your life on him. Marriages, build your life on him. When you do, you'll see him leading you even more. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.